A cry at midnight. Matthew chapter 25. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. Christians are those who are waiting for the Lord's return. Classically speaking, of course. Today, Christian means something else. It could mean a variety of things. But originally, Christianity means the waiting of the Christ to return. Christianity is that this waiting, this preparation that we long for one day we will see our Savior coming to take us, to fulfill that which He promised. He said, I will come to you again. I will return. And this is what the story is about. This story is about people waiting for the Lord's return. This story is about those who are called virgins, the ones who have separated themselves from this world, even though they are still in the world. Virgins are those who are not running around, so to speak, with other gods, with other deity. There are no such things. The imaginations of our minds, they are the product of our hands, our work. We create the gods and we spend time in worshiping them. There are no gods, Paul says. There are no such thing. There's only one God and He's the one who created all of this and within our creative nature that we inherit from God, we create things and then we bow down and worship these things. But not these virgins. They have separated themselves. They have left the running of the crowd and the masses to these other things. The Bible tells you that in the time of Noah, all the way up until God shut the door to the ark, people were having fun, getting married, enjoying life until the flood comes. It's only eight people separate themselves. At midnight, there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. It's a church. This cry is from the church's cry. should be from the pulpit. The bridegroom cometh. He's coming. Go ye out to meet him. Go ye out to meet him. Who is the bridegroom? Where did he go? Why is he returning? Who are the virgins? Why are they waiting? How come only half of them are wise? Why at midnight? Let me try to attempt to answer these questions. Who is the bridegroom? Isaiah 54, 5. For thy maker is thine husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And thy redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. The God of the whole earth shall he be called. God is the bridegroom. The Old Testament reveals that God took Israel to be his bride, his chosen one. And though she was very unfaithful in most of her history, he promised her, I will take you out of captivity. I'll bring you into the promised land. And when she made it to the promised land, she went after other gods. The only God who can grieve is the Lord Jesus Christ. He soon, she soon forgets her bridegroom and went after the other gods of the land. He forgave her, forgave her infidelity, adultery, but she continued to betray his love. 
Through it all, the bridegroom knew that his beloved would turn away from him. God knew that Israel would not return. God knew that unless something dramatic happened, Israel would never return. Because Israel could not see God. God appeared to Israel as a pillar of fire, as a cloud, but it's not a person. She couldn't figure it out. And so when Moses disappeared for 40 days, she made herself a new God. It looks like something she recognized, gold and cattle. Time went by, and it's time for God to reveal himself. The bridegroom comes the first time. The bridegroom in the flesh, John chapter 3, verse 29. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, John the Baptist says, pointing to Jesus Christ. That's the bridegroom. You see, in the Old Testament, and the last person, the last prophet of the Old Testament is John the Baptist. And he's the one who closes the book on the Old Testament and says, look, the time of the Old Testament has come to an end. Here, Israel, is the bridegroom. This is the bridegroom. He comes in the flesh. Now you can see him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But where is the bride? We'll get to that. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He became the bridegroom that we all could behold and see and touch and ultimately hanged him on the tree. Instead of embracing her beloved, Israel rejected him, maligned him, exchanged the bridegroom for a thief and a murderer. Where did the bridegroom go? Matthew chapter 9, verse 15. And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then they fast. Jesus told his disciples that there will be a time when this bridegroom who came, the vision of God in the Old Testament, become flesh in the New Testament, will be gone, will be taken from them. And then they will fast. Then they will fast. The death of the bridegroom. God sends his son to show us that he has not forgotten them. Otherwise, we do not have the New Testament. Otherwise, we do not have the gospel if God has forgotten us. The bridegroom came as an offering of peace from God. He is someone that will take our place. This is the symbol of God's love. But we're not ready for him. We're not ready for Christ. We don't understand him. In our minds, the human mind gravitate to things that they understand. The things that they don't understand, they either reject or find ways to denounce. And in this case, they don't understand Christ, so they got rid of him. They got rid of the bridegroom. They want someone that they can recognize. They want a thief. I get that. I understand that. But this man, he's different. He's unlike us. I'm willing to accept a murderer. But this man, I don't know. I can't accept him. And so we crucify him. We crucify the one who came to love us. But this has to be done. 
It has to happen this way. Because he came to prove one thing. What's the most extraordinary thing that you can receive as an evidence of someone who loves you? What is it? Is it affection? Is it sentiments? Gifts? How many times they text or call you? The words that they tell you don't hurt you? Are those the evidences? What if they can no longer talk? What if they can no longer do anything for you? Is it passions? The strongest evidence for love is death. Rather, it's the overcoming of death. It's the coming back to life from the dead and saying, I still love you. Even though it was you that killed me. That's the evidence. The greatest evidence of love. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 6. Set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm. For love is strong as death, jealousy is cruel as the grave. Death and love are on the two opposite ends. Will your love die when you die? For all of us, our love dies when we die, but not for the bridegroom. Not for the bridegroom. He proved that death has no hold on his love for us. He proved that even in the grave, in the pit of hell, he still loves us. And he came back and tell you, yes, it was you that crucified me. It was you that nailed me to the cross because you hated me. But I love you. I come back from the grave to tell you that I love you. The Jews demanded Jesus must die so that we can have this testament that the God who died rose again and tell us that he loves us. Will his love for them perish? It didn't. It didn't perish as he died. They triumphed over death. They put his body in the tomb, sealed it with a boulder, put guards around it as a signet of the rejection of this God, of this God and his bridegroom. We don't want it. We want it to be over. We want to make sure he doesn't come out of this grave. We don't understand this person, so we get rid of him. Put guards around there. Make sure he doesn't come out. The bridegroom was rejected. Not of men. The bridegroom was rejected by God himself. God rejected his son. On that cross, you heard him say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God has forsaken his own son. Why does he do this? Why is the bridegroom rejected? The dialectical construct of God's salvation demands someone to be rejected for someone else to be accepted. That's how it has to work theologically. I hated Esau. I love Jacob. Someone has to be rejected for someone to be accepted. He has to say yes 
to one by saying no to the other. Let me tell you why. Because the bridegroom is altogether different than all of us. He is unlike any of us. And God cannot accept Jesus Christ and accept us because we are not of the same kind. We are sinners. He's sinless. We fill with malignity and he's filled with love. For God to accept us, he needs to reject Jesus Christ. For him to say yes to us, he needs to say no to his son. That's how this dialectical construct needs to work. Otherwise, it doesn't in the context of salvation. The condemnation of sinner can only be reversed if God condemns an innocent. How does this happen? By putting the guilt of the guilty on the guiltless and condemn him. Jesus Christ must be rejected of God and crucified so that we can be accepted in the beloved. That's the gospel. Someone needs to be rejected because God has only one beloved. For you to choose someone to be yours, everyone else has to be rejected. The bridegroom died, but the grave could not hold him. Now this is the twist in the story. Death can kill us. Death will kill us. If God did not reject Christ and we become those who take part in death, then we are forever doomed. We cannot come back from the dead. But Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, was rejected of God. He was crucified. He died. But here's the twist. The grave could not hold him. Death has no power over him. And on that faithful Sunday, he rose again. Doesn't need the guard to bar the door. He's the king of all kings, lord of all lords. This boulder, this grave, any monument that human can come up, any contraption that we can come up, cannot prevent Christ from coming to his beloved. He appeared to his church and told them he loves them. Why is he returning? Where did he go? Where did he go? There are two places that he went. John chapter 14, verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. He must go to hell. We can't follow him into hell. We'll die there. So he go to the place we can't go. So the disciples scratched their heads and said, why, Lord? We can't go to hell. We won't survive. We won't come out of it. But he must go there to take the sting of death from death itself and to conquer the power of the grave that has its hold on sinners, to nullify its effect on us. And then he must go to heaven because the bridegroom goes to prepare for us a place. Let's go get married. And you see the two couples go out there, get married, and look at each other and like, what do we do now? Well, I don't know. I thought you had a plan. I thought you had a plan. 
That's not the gospel. And ladies, if someone tells you that, be aware. Be very, very suspicious of someone to say, let's go get married and have no plans. It's going to be in a big surprise. That's not the bridegroom. That's not how the gospel story will unfold. The bridegroom has a plan, has a plan eternally for his bride because she's precious to him. The bridegroom has a plan, and that plan is to prepare a palace, is to prepare a place fit for his bride. He is going to prepare a place for us, an eternal home. He doesn't know when that will be finished, and he doesn't know when he will come back. All we have is this engagement ring that he gave us. All we have is this promise that the bridegroom gave us, and he said, I will come back for you. John chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Jesus does not leave us comfortless. He sends his Spirit to us. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of God is that sign, that engagement sign that he gave to his people. I'll tell you what that sign is later. Jesus' presence is given to his disciples through his Spirit. The virgins in this story are the ones who are engaged to Christ. They have something. They have an evidence of this engagement. Just like all engagement rings, some of them are real and some are not. Jesus says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Do you believe this? The virgins believe this. Otherwise, they would not wait for him. But many are called. A few are chosen. He must return for his beloved. Acts chapter 1, verse 11. Which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus, which is taken from you into heaven, shall come in like manner as ye have seen him go to heaven. This is how Jesus would return. He will return the same way he went. He will come back the same way that the disciples, standing there, looking at Jesus' ascension, he will descend the same way he ascended. Do you believe this? It boggles me because we rarely talk about this. Jesus will return. He will come again. Are you ready? Are we preparing for the Lord's return? Or like Peter says, he is going to be late. And so some live their life as if the Lord never returned. He's returning because he has promised us. And if the bridegroom promised, he will do what he has promised. I believe that. Do you believe that? Jesus will return for his bride. The virgins, who are they? Matthew 25, let's look. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Ten virgins. Let's just say that's a hundred. 
50% of them are wise and 50% of them are foolish. And what does that tell you? To me, that means you cannot tell, we cannot tell by looking at people. We cannot tell whether someone is foolish or someone is wise. The church represents the virgin. The Christian church belongs to the bridegroom. Now, we made a proclamation when you were baptized, you were baptized into his church. The sign and seal of that covenant is the grace that we receive when we were baptized. The church receives the sinner into the church through baptism, and there are two places that the name of the baptized will be written. One, it will be written in the church record that that person was baptized on a particular date. There's another book, a scroll, that the name of the person is written, and that is the book of life. Now, everyone who is baptized, I hope, unless there's some discrepancy in the record, will be in the book that belongs to the visible church that you see. However, who's in the book of life? Whose name is in the book of life? Who is in the invisible church that we cannot see? Who's in this scroll that is checked at the door to enter into marriage feast? Every true Christian is espoused to Jesus Christ. You might have your name and might have given you a medallion like this one. If you receive something like this that has your name engraved in the back, that has the date, and it looks like an acceptable token to get into the church. Well, you can get into the church while a token, actually. But um, how do you know if your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, in the bridegroom's scroll of entrance? We don't know. That's why there are five of them, the 50%. We just don't know. We can't tell. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2 says, For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. We have been arranged to be married with Jesus Christ as a virgin, a chaste virgin, which means that we have not defiled ourselves running around with other people while we're in this relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We have not fooled around with other gods. That's what it means. The virgins is the church, and the church and all ten virgins have this as their appearance. They are all chaste virgins. The story is not talking about those who are not chaste virgins. The story is talking about all, if you look at these ten virgins, they look the same. They have same cognitive ability. The foolish ones are not dumber than the wise. You read the story, it tell you. That's not how you tell the foolish from the wise. The virgins are waiting for the bridegroom to return for that final consummation with her beloved. She does not know precisely when, so she waits. So the story tells you that she waits. Matthew 25, verse 13. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. We don't know when. So the Bible continues to admonish us to watch. Watch. It's not been given to her to know the time nor the day. It's not given to us to know the season even. But the bridegroom will come. Do you believe this? Are you prepared? Why only half the virgins are wise? Look at verse 2. 
Five of them were wise and five were foolish. We cannot tell who's wise and who's unwise by looking. I cannot tell by looking at you, and I'm sure you cannot tell by looking at me or yourself in the mirror. Or could you? You know if you're not. Okay, let's just put it this way. You know precisely when you are not a virgin for Jesus Christ. That you know. But if you are a virgin, you cannot tell whether you're wise or you're unwise. We're not talking about those who are not virgins for Christ. We're not talking about those who don't care about Christ. We're not talking about those who look in the mirror and know that they are faking it. But I cannot tell whether one is wise or foolish. It's the oil that tells you who's wise and who's foolish. Verse 3 and 4, They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil. That's how the Bible tells you how to distinguish the wise from the foolish. It's not the cognitive ability. That's indistinguishable from the wise and the unwise. It's not because they mumble. It's not because they can't talk. It's not because they don't read. It's not because they can't program. No, that's not how you tell the wise from the unwise. Oh, you're trying to be a programmer. But the Bible tells you the foolish are the ones who don't have oil. What, what, what does oil have to do with anything? But the wise took oil in their vessel with their lamps. The foolish are not unwise because they are mentally challenged or inferior or sleepy, because they all are sleepy. The foolish are either, I give you three reasons why. Number one, insufficiently prepared by not bringing extra oil. Are you prepared? What is oil? Well, one thing, I would say the oil well, is the Word of God. Why do we make you study the Bible? Because you have to have some amount a fundamental understanding of the gospel. That's why the Bible is important. No, 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 God doesn't need me to know the, God, the, the Bible. Insufficiently prepared by not bringing, here, extra oil. Extra oil. More than what you currently need right now. You need more than what you currently have to sufficiently light your lamp. The foolish ones are the ones who don't look ahead we're not looking at the long tail. We're not looking at the long run. Why am I doing this? Why are there some people on the other side of this camera is trying and suffering through this bad quality streaming? Because they're looking at something longer. They're investing in something longer. But if you wait for something have already finished, then go to a big church. They'll have it all figured out. But you won't be a part of this startup. The greater the risk, the greater the reward. Insufficiently prepared. But if you work and if you participate in a venture that's risky, then you must be ready to be prepared. Bring extra oil. You will need it. Secondly, you overestimate the lamb's capacity to last throughout the wait. Many of us do this, don't we? We think, we got it all up here. My heart is good. God knows that. I'm going to finish this race because you know what? I believe it. You overestimate the lamb's ability to continue to burn without oil. Lamps cannot, cannot continue to burn unless you put oil in it. If you don't bring oil and you fall asleep, it will be put out. And number three, and I think this is the most critical one, they think they can figure things out when the time comes. Hubris. You try to assure yourself that it's okay. I will figure it out when the time comes. You won't figure it out. You will not figure it out. You know this. At the 11th hour, you haven't done your homework, your lab yet. 
I'll figure it out. Time crunches by. You won't make it. And if you do, sloppy job. That's not how we prepare to go see the bridegroom of eternity. You can't figure it out. You know, that is pride. If you think you can figure God out by just bumping along until the very last day, and you say, you know what? I'm here. I wake up. In all instances, the foolish did not take what's needed for their journey. The oil, what is it? It's the Spirit of God. It's the motivation that supplies the fervency, the fire that's burning in you. We are dry. We are insufficiently capable of loving Jesus Christ because we don't have the Spirit of God. We don't have the oil. The wise reliance on the Spirit. They know it's not within themselves the ability to be able to keep the fire burning. They knew it. So they brought the Spirit with them. They brought the one who supplies the oil. See, they did not rely on themselves. I won't make it. Without your Spirit, I'm doomed. Without God's Spirit, I am doomed. I will not make it on my own. I will sleep the wise and the foolish. will sleep the same way. They all slept. Verse 5. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. Every one of them, wise or unwise, they are weak the same way. We are all weak. We don't have the ability in our own strength. The flesh is weak. All flesh is weak. But the weakness of the flesh does not determine whether you are wise or you are foolish. What determines whether you are wise or you are foolish is your humility. Do you come to God and say, God, I can't do this. I need your spirit. That's the wise one. I need your spirit to continue to be in me during the time that I will fall asleep because I know I will fall asleep. I know that my flesh is weak. I know that I can't go on unless you help me. That is the token, the evidence of the wise is that they don't trust in their own ability. They don't trust in their own flesh. And Jesus says this in Matthew 24, verse 22. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. No one will be saved. Don't tell me that you can somehow contribute to your own salvation with God. You cannot contribute to God's salvation. God has to do the work. It's His Spirit. It's all humility that when we come and say, God, I need your Spirit. Jesus says no one can be saved unless it's the mercy of God. If He doesn't come, the Spirit will sustain us. The Spirit will sustain us. Wait. Without the Spirit, no flesh can be saved. Do you trust in God? Do you have the Spirit of God? Or you, no, hi, I'll do this. I'll, I'll pull myself up by my own bootstrap. I'll get this done. The foolish, that's what they do. And at midnight, there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out and meet him. And all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. You see, we all have on the outside the same appearance. We know our religion. We can go through the motions, can't we? We know how to look like someone who's devoted. We can be also very sincere about our liturgical ordinances. We look like we are doing the right thing. And people look at us and wow, look at that person. So loving the Lord. Is it by the Spirit of God or is it by your own strength? The ones who carry with them oil place no reliance on their ability to figure things out when the time comes. They know that the Lord has sustained them. And so when they come into this waiting period, they ask the Holy Spirit to be with them. The oil, the extra oil. They might not need it now, but they will need it later. They need it now. The foolish reliance on the flesh in verse 8 says, and the foolish says to the wise, give us of, now look at this word, give us of your oil. 
give us of your oil. This COVID has taught us a couple of things, doesn't it? Taught us to prepare. Because stores don't open all the time now. And so is the economy of God. Now is the time of salvation. Now is the storehouse open. Now is the marketplace open. Now is the time for us to go out there and get the oil. Because when the time comes, no one sells it to you. But wait, let's go back. Give us of your oil for our lamps are gone out. All our lamps will go out. At one point in our lives, our waiting period, the lamps will go out. But the Holy Spirit resupplies the lamp and the wise one have the oil and so the lamp is relit. There is a time of rekindling. There are times when I go through dry places and I feel like, God, I, I just, there's just nothing here. And the Spirit of God resupplies because now is the time that we can go to God and say, God, I need your oil. But the time will come when no one will give you oil. You know why? Because it's given to everyone a measure of Jesus Christ according for your salvation. Not what's for someone else. I cannot believe for your salvation. The Spirit of God who gave me cannot be shared with you. I cannot somehow put my hands on you and impart to you the Holy Spirit. No, God has to give you. There's only two people in the Western tradition, that is. The only two entities who can give you the Spirit, the Father and the Son. That's it. Unless you're Eastern tradition, then only the Father can give you the Spirit. No human being can give you the Spirit. No one can give you the oil. And so the wise says, sisters, virgins, we're together, right? Give us some oil. And the wise one says, I can't. My lamps will go out, and both of us will be shut out. To everyone of us is given the grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Get to know the Holy Spirit personally. We have, and we must, because midnight will come. There will be a time for every one of us, midnight will come. Midnight is the time that you don't expect. Midnight is when you never expect it to come. Midnight is the hour of one's life that's unknowable. No one knows what time is the midnight. That's the time when the Lord comes for you. Or the angel of death. Let us wake up now. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 13, verse 11, And that knowing the time, and now is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Let us wake up. Now is the time. If you find your lamp out, it's time to go by from God. It doesn't cost you anything. Hear the sound of the gospel today. Wake up, trim your lamp. Let us go on our knees and ask the Lord, Give me your spirit. Give me your oil. You either you either in this fully, or you get out, live your life, and be damned to hell. But if if you are in this, don't wake up one day and find that your lamp is out and you wasted your entire life. Not prepared. Not prepared. Wake up now. Today is the day of salvation. Harden not your heart. Today is the day of salvation. Come to the door of the tabernacle and ask God, give me your oil. Give me your spirit. Now is your midnight. If you can hear my voice right now, if you hear the gospel right now, it's time for us to wake up. The angel is calling. There's a cry calling out at midnight. It's time. 
but now is the time of mercy. Now is the time that the storehouse of God is still open. Now is the time that we can come to Him. Are you waiting with anticipation for Christ's return? The last verse here, 13. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Lord, we ask, would your spirit move in our heart today and cause us to arise, awake out of slumber, that Christ would be put on, that the light of the Lord Jesus Christ would shine upon us and upon the face of Jesus Christ that exhibits through our lives. I pray that we will arise from our slumber, that we will no longer count the hours of our sleep, but we count the hours of your coming, of your return that there is a genuine expectation of your coming and that our lamps will be filled with the oil that is the Spirit of God. Give us the grace, Lord, and the humility to come to you as a church to know that the time has come and the time is now that we should rise from our sleep. Christ will give us light. You will give us light. Raise this church, Lord, in this time. Cause us to be a, a people who is humble, blameless, and harmless, the Son of God without rebuke in the midst of this crooked and perverse nation among whom we shine. Give us the token of salvation, the token of all, the signet of your love for us, sealed in our lives. We thank you, Lord, and raise the people up in the days to come that we will be those who expect the Lord's return and live the way that we proclaim. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.